0: on this episode of the byo nano podcast let's talk about yeast and recipe development and getting out of the comfort zone of each this is john hall and welcome to episode 21 Last week, there was a scaled-down version of the Craft Brewers Conference that happened in Denver, and I flew out for a few days to walk the expo floor and to see what was new in the world of beer, to talk with brewers about what's exciting and worrying, and to have a few socially distant pints. There's a movement in the industry, with new breweries getting ready to shed the planning phase and open, and small breweries looking to get bigger or just better best practices are always important. So in this episode, we have two guests that will share expertise and insight. They are Kara Taylor, the head of operations at White Labs, and Dave Green, he's the assistant editor and recipe editor of BYO Magazine. And they're coming up in just a minute. But first, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Yakima Chief Hops. Yakima Chief Hops has officially launched their newest product, Cryo Pop Original Blend. YCH has combined their proprietary cryogenic hop processing technology with cutting-edge lab analysis to create cryo hops with a pop. Using this new research to identify the most beer-soluble hop compounds that survived the brewing process, they engineered a supercharged pellet that shows massive tropical, stone fruit, and citrus aromas in your finished beers. Learn more at cryopopblend.com. And we're also sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. Check out the latest addition to the Blickman Pro Brewing equipment lineup, skid-mounted brew houses, available in 5 to 15-barrel capacities. These production powerhouses are designed for flexibility, engineered for performance, and built for growth. Experience the convenience you want from a name you trust at a price you wouldn't expect. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And we're also brought to you by Arrived. Arrived Point of Sale is your mobile, flexible solution for the best guest and staff experience on premise and online. Built by craft beer professionals for craft beer professionals, Arrived is the only POS with no contracts and no monthly fees and everything you need to thrive. Go to arrived.com nano to set up a free customized demo. That's arrived.com slash nano, and it's a r r y v e d dot com slash nano because there is no I in arrived. And save the date November 4th to 6th is the BYO boot camp in Denver, Colorado. Join us in person for three full days packed with brewing learning. You'll have two days of learning hands on in small classes from brewing experts in your choice of eight different full day workshops. Plus, you'll have a full bonus third day of back to back seminars from our experts. So you have a chance to learn from all of our speakers beyond your small class workshops. Check out byo.com to learn more. And the fourth annual NanoCon Online takes place December three and four of this year, with two days of more than 30 seminars and workshop for the NanoCraft Brewing segment. Be sure to mark NanoCon online on your calendar or sign up now. You can also learn more at BYO.com and I'll see you there. So as I was walking around the convention center in Denver, I was asking brewers about what was exciting them in their beers these days. And rather than talking about hops, more than a few brought up yeast and how they're really trying to do more with the microbe. Soon enough, I ran into Kara Taylor of White Labs and the idea to have her on the show struck me. I've known her for years, and her passion for yeast is evident. She also has one of the best palates I've ever had the pleasure to judge alongside, and that's happening quite a few contests in quite a few countries. So she's up first this month, speaking to the show via Zoom in Asheville, North Carolina. What is exciting in the world of yeast today?
1: There's a lot I feel like that's exciting in the world of yeast today. I you think, don't sound um, like you're
0: excited about it, though.
1: <laughs> well, um I come on! Bring the bring tonight. the energy.
0: You know, like it's 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 the middle of the month. People are tired. You know, they need they need I'm some excitement too,
1: John. <laughs> um. Yes. So I would. Right, say... You want to try it
0: again? Hold on. Like, like like one more time, but with feeling this time. So, what's exciting in the world of use today?
1: There's so much that's exciting in the world of use today.
0: <laughs> like what <Does> that
1: not- <laughs> so I think um I think yeast is getting so much like everyone is talking about it now and I think hazies have unfortunately probably brought this to the forefront but I think there's like a lot of people are talking more about yeast now than I think they really ever have about what yeast strains are using um and just kind of thinking about a little bit more as some of these new styles that were brewing or presenting, you know, challenges, right? Um, and so that's why I think um, there's a lot of interesting things. There's some really cool stuff that people are doing regarding GMO yeast. Um, there's some hybrids that are coming out, um, and so I think you know there's a lot more there's a lot more research going into brewing science um, than there has been in the last ten years. So I think there's a lot of exciting stuff.
0: So let me back you up there because it, it's always interesting to me when I go to a brewery and of any size and they want to talk about the hops. Um, increasingly, they're talking about the malt, um, but there's not often a lot of love that is given to the yeast that made the beer um, that, that you know, results in the, in the final product. Um, and I wonder if, I know malts had the challenge of trying to explain, you know, flavors and processes and things like that. And hops are just kind of, you know, easy to, to describe like, Oh, this smells like citrus or imagine pineapple. And then you just sort of figure pineapple is there, whatever. Um, When you talk to small brewers, because I know you do a lot of education, how, how do you encourage them to have the yeast conversation with consumers? To sort of drive home what the ingredient does, what what
1: mm. yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I would say that I mean it I, I find that even with a brewer sometimes that they're not talking about that yeast conversation, right? So if they're not even thinking about it, they're definitely not conveying that to the consumer. I think a brewery that is using more than two yeast strains is probably committed to making yeast forward beers right they're thinking about the strains they're thinking about how they can make different beers with those strains and um and and really and really dialing in their harvesting practices potentially but I think um especially on a smaller brewery that can be hard to do it's hard to have a lot of uh different yeast strains especially if you're kind of coming from homebrew a uh, homebrewing world where you can literally use you know hundreds of different yeast strains at your fingertip at any um at any second so i don't think i really answered your question <laughs> about it but i think well they, may, they might not be explicitly doing that i think there there are people that are doing it by using different yeast strains and expressing that differently in different beers if that makes any sense
0: okay what, what's a good example of that
1: um, I would say a good example of that is potentially having multiple IPAs and using different e strains. And not I'm not saying that they all have to be different e strains. I'm just saying that finding e strain that works better with one versus another. We already see that sort of happening with hazies, right? So the Cal Ale yeast is you know a go-to yeast for many beer styles, but it doesn't really work with hazy beer. Why? we don't entirely know, um, other than that it's, you know, pretty good flocculator. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, so having mul- multiple yeast strains in your brewery is, is sort of explaining that yeast is important into this, in this process. Um, and I think if you're making any type of Belgian or Saison and you're using but, you know the same yeast for all of those, you know, that can be, um, you know that that's definitely done right and i think i think i find with a lot of people that use the same strain across those types of beers they all sort of taste so- somewhat similar yeah um and so i think by by switching up some of those yeast strains you can kind of show the customer that you can make so many different flavors in beer
0: so i know you have the two breweries uh one on the west coast one on the east coast um and and you do a lot of experimentation on there i has there been anything because i, I know all most customers and even brewers want to talk about is, is, is hazy's um have you found different strains that, that that work that do something kind of fun that do i don't know make you just sit up a little bit straighter and go oh, all right that's that, that, that's pretty cool
1: Yeah, I think one of the more exciting um, things that I've kind of done lately is that we made an American Light Lager. And I don't know if you had the chance to taste them last week, Um, but we did an American Light Lager and it finished at like 120 calories. Um, It was 5.2% alcohol and also... So it was, you know, negative Play-Doh or, you know, lower than one specific gravity. And normally when you're tasting a bunch of American light lagers, you're never thinking about the yeast strain. I mean, obviously you have to use the lager yeast, but you're not really thinking about like, should I change the yeast strain in order to change my American light lager? Um, And it was really interesting to see basically the same data in terms of alcohol and final gravity with two strains. So we did the American lager yeast and then the Mexican lager yeast okay. and how much of an increase in body we saw with the Mexican lager yeast. And I thought like it was pretty much unanimous when people would come by and kind of taste that and they preferred the Mexican lager yeast for the body. And that's because, you know, as craft in the craft sector, we're, we're sort of always looking for that, right. A little bit more flavor. Yeah. But um, that was something to, that I thought was like really interesting lately that, that we, we looked at.
0: Has there been anything else that sort of popped up as well? Or, I mean, cause I could talk about loggers all day and, you know, just the importance of, I mean, ye- yeast is often so much in the background of, 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 of the loggers, but so critically important. Um, but do you, do you find that people want to have that conversation or does it always just keep kind of coming back to hazies these days?
1: No, I would say that. I mean, obviously behind Hazy's, I think lager brewing is is definitely getting more popular. I think the cool thing is that people are sort of kind of rebranding some of the lagers where they're not always calling it like a Mina Kellis. They're rebranding it as like, you know, some other type of name and then just sort of ignoring the style yeah. to get consumers to drink them a little bit more, which I'm like... To me, it's like, who cares if you can convert some people and they don't have to worry about what exactly what style it is. Great. Um so I I think there's definitely conversations that are are surrounding loggers and how to make them. Um, because I think the market is getting so much more competitive with logger brewing. I mean, 10 years ago, I would definitely not just like pull a craft logger off of the like off of a craft brewery and just say, yeah, give me that. But now, yeah. you know you can you can feel a little bit more confident that it's maybe done in a more traditional manner or um, it's going to taste better.
0: On on the smaller scale of things, because I know that's a challenge for uh, smaller brewers these days. Because it's time, it's temperature, it's it's you know, if if you can horizontal lager tanks, although that's you know harder to come by, I guess on the smaller scale. Um, but for smaller breweries that have been using. Almost exclusively ale yeasts, um, but maybe are thinking about getting into the uh, to to the lager game. It, is there any advice as as they start to think about uh, lager yeasts and and programs and um, you know how to make the most out of what can be a very challenging style?
1: Yeah, I think for. Um... Smaller breweries, I think, sometimes making a lager at a smaller brewery is actually easier because they don't have the production schedules maybe a larger brewery would, and they they're not thinking of you know every day it sits in the tank you know how many dollars are going by, um, and so I think they have the ability to do a little bit more experimentation. I think also if you're not quite sure if you're if you, if you're not quite ready to make the jump yet, I think another great in between is doing something like a cream or even yeah. a Kolsch. Um, and so maybe you don't have all of the log green capabilities or you can't get it that cold. Um, I think those are two beer styles that are, you know, sort of on that same level, but don't require as much of the same, um, uh, equipment and timeline.
0: Sure. And as far as, you know, maintaining, you know, strains and, and, and keeping it going, um, is there any Big difference that people should be thinking about in advance?
1: Yeah. So with lager yeast, um, I think sometimes people think, oh, the yeast sits in there for, you know, three months or two months. But really, what's happening is you're the, once that primary fermentation is done, you can take the majority of that yeast out. Um, lager yeast is notoriously a terrible flocculator. So mm-hmm. it, it doesn't flocculate very well. So you know, that, that lager yeast is going to be in suspension for quite some time, which, which helps with diacetyl reuptake. It helps. And then also you're going to have, you know, some yeast in suspension that's still um, helping clean up that beer. You just don't need all of that yeast at the the bottom of the cone to really, you know, to, to reduce, you know, diacetyl. It's not doing anything down there. And so I would, I would use your same practices that you would for your ALEs in terms of getting it off of the, off of the beer and then using whatever is left in suspension to, to clean up the rest over, over time.
0: Cool. Um, you know, when you mentioned uh, cream ale's and, and then uh, Kolsch uh, it sort of got me thinking back again to, to when you're talking about um, you know, some of the, the GMO use, but, um, but then also the hybrid uh, that are out there. Can can you go a little bit deeper as to what might be on that horizon?
1: Yeah. So um, we don't have any commercially available currently, but hybridizing Saccharomyces um, bruises is really difficult. And mainly because over time we've domesticated them to be asexual. And so you've got to put them in the right conditions um, in order for to get them to mate. And there's a lot of you know, a lot of that is being done at universities because that, that equipment is um, fairly expensive. Although there are some uh, more, I should, you know, cheaper methods that you can work on, but there's, there's sort of a reason there's not a ton of them on the market is it doesn't always work out in the way that you want it to. And so um, I think as universities continue to work on some of this and get more interest and more funding i think we'll see this, some cooler things kind of come out on into the market um but, but right now we're sort of i think at the beginning
0: of it like what are some of the theoretical goals or hopes w- w- with these you know you're saying like some cool things come out like i know you know it's not happening yet but like what would be cool
1: so i think ideally what would what would happen is some of the things that we you know we're looking at with gmo yeast -hmm. There's a lot of the market that's not comfortable with that yet. But if we can if we can those are three three
0: letters that make, you know, some people squirm.
1: Sure, exactly. And um and also it's not uh, you know, it's not legal in many parts of the world, right? So if I think ultimately if we can take with what we would like from GMO yeast and apply it to and just and find ways to to make hybrids so to kind of go backwards, I think think is, is, um, and it is more exciting, but also definitely more challenging. Um, GMO yeast in itself is like not difficult to do. People have been doing that for, you know, for a long time. Um, not just specifically on brewer's yeast, but, you know, or not with, with saccharomyces cerevisiae in a lab doing many other things. Right. Um, so, you know, some of the things you see people wanting is a diacetyl free yeast. So yeast, that's not, um, producing diacetyl. That's cool. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Right. So, you know, there's a, you know, company that's making that Um, Lollomon has a strain that makes lactic acid. Right. Um, And so, so some of the the challenges is for some of these things is also consistency. So how can you, if you're going to use this yeast, how how to reuse it is some of the things that we've seen, Um, you know, comments from people. And then also um, you know, it's, it's not just about replacing genes. It's also about, you know, how do how are they turned on and how they turned off and what, how, you know, if it makes lactic acid, how much lactic acid is it making? Right. So um, I think those are some of the things, but I I see where the trend is probably going to go is, is how do we make some of these hop compounds uh, or, you know, how do how do we get yeast to make some of these hop compounds instead of having a bunch of hops? It isn't, I don't think any, like anything I've had has been like perfect yet or, but it's certainly been interesting. Um, and I think there's, there's definitely some, some innovation that will, will lead that direction.
0: Where's this innovation being driven by, or Or who's driving this innovation right now that, that, that you see, is it the university research centers? Is it, you know, the private companies? Is it, you know, brewers and manufacturers or customers—the combination. Who?
1: Yeah, I would say there's a combo, this. right? Yeah. So the people that have the technology and some of the funding is definitely going to be on the university side. Although when you look at a company like Berkeley Yeast, they are—you are, um, know—they they're a private company, but um, have some funding via uh, you know the government. Um, and, you know, we're currently, you know, we work with, um, a lot, uh, with the university of Belgium, um, which is, you know, when we had done a lot of the sequencing data, um, several years ago and, you know, published that paper in Cell. um, that was, you know, through them. So we, we definitely rely on that because some of that equipment is just, um, is very, very expensive for someone in the brewing industry yeah. <laughs> on our side. Um, you know, even though we are like a a lab um, we're still not pharmaceutical right so we just don't have those kind of budgets for those that type of equipment
0: right but I mean when you talk about there, there's so much you know talk of you know new hop varietals or you know innovation in, in in that space and I was just sort of curious if you know that has sort of pushed the yeast realm as well like I know there's other applications outside of beer but
1: yeah, I would yes, I think so. Um and I I think it's just a little bit harder to do this for yeast because plant biology is in terms of crossbreeding plants is so I don't want to say easier, but it's a little bit I think more it, it's done more often yeah. in other types of crops, right? I and like so that you're starting at an like, four, By okay. the way, this is fun. Yeah, <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm not saying that it's easy by any means, but I think that it's just like a little bit more studied, studied better, I guess I should say. Okay. Um, and because it's already, because it's an edible thing, right? It's not like they're just genetically modifying these hops and being able to plant them, um, whereas and there's tons of genetic modification done with yeast in order to make certain compounds that we extract not specifically on the brewing side, right? So th- that already exists, which is why um GMO brewers yeast, you know, it's been being done for many, many years, but primarily in the academic side and in my and primarily in the lab. Yeah. Um and just now people are kind of interested in it from consumer side. But um I would say there's definitely you know, I'm not saying there's no risks. I I haven't studied it well enough to really understand that, but I definitely think that there's some interesting things that could come down, down the line.
0: Okay. Um, I want to bring this back to the brew house. Um, as you think about, uh, you know, all of the small brewers that, that, that are out there these days, and, um, there's so much to keep up with. Um, and it can be very easy to, you know, get into a, you know, to a groove, which then, you know, might actually become a rut. Um, when it comes to best yeast practices, when it comes to creativity, when it comes to, you know, just sort of shaking it up a a, a little bit is, do you have a challenge or two for small brewers to do something different with their yeasts or to, um, to, to get out of the normal groove and trying to do something different, trying to do something fun?
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, I don't know if I would particularly call this fun. Okay. But I would say that I would, I would challenge some small brewers to get more consistent yeast harvesting practices um, and really dial those in. Because as a small brewer, <clears throat> sometimes you're sort of just collecting yeast, And then you're like, oh, I usually pitch two liters of this into the next fermenter, or maybe you don't even measure at all. You just put that whole keg in there. And while it's probably working for you at this moment in time, the minute you start scaling up any of those issues that you're dealing with or that that aren't quite dialed in at the small scale are just going to be exacerbated on the other end. So that's probably like the most common thing I see as people start scaling up is that they just take the same of those same practices. They try to apply it to the 30, 60, 90 barrel fermenters. And then they're just like, wait, this isn't working. Um, and so that's kind of like, well, it might, it might be fun to you, but it's also more of like a science challenge, you know, um, in terms of learning. I think that is, um, is, is a good practice to, to work on is, is really dialing in those yeast harvesting practices.
0: Is there a, I'm, sorry. Yeah, sorry go go ahead. Ahead. no, 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 please.
1: Oh, I was going to say on the fun side. I think, um, especially as a, in, in a small brewery, you have a little bit more opportunity to play around sometimes. And so I think um, working with some blends can be kind of interesting. Um, blending yeast, um, especially if you, you know, depending on, on how long you're, you know, keeping yeast around, but I think um, messing around with some yeast blends can be, can be cool, but not a lot of people, you know, really mess around with that too much.
0: Have you messed around with that recently?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been designing blends for a while now, um, especially for hazy. So one of my biggest complaints, like hazy beer, I'll just, you know, be honest, is not my favorite style, regardless of, um, regardless of like the brewery. But one of the things that really bothers me is that almost everyone is using the same yeast strain. And so regardless of hops, I find that like when you put a bunch of them in front of me, they all taste very similar. And I, I think that's due to using the same yeast strain. Um, and so what I've been doing is messing around with with different strains that we can add to those hazy blends to to also to keep that hazy, to keep that beer on the juicier side or the more tropical side, but not, but you know, has a little bit of differentiating character or dryness or body than someone else's. So you can help differentiate your product on the market. Okay. Or even within brands if you've got multiple hazy, you know, in your tap room.
0: Uh I know we're not super promotional on this show, but uh what what's a good example that you guys have that uh you think is is, is highlighting this in a good way?
1: What should um, well, people so put in that cart? Yeah, so we just released this one called Best Coast um Best Coast uh hazy blend. And one of the reasons that we made it is because it didn't, we, people wanted a blend or other blend has an STA one strain in it. And, um, if you're not familiar with that, it's just in terms of, um, a gene that's present in some yeast strains that has the ability to chew up larger sugars. And so, um, some people don't want to have that in their brewery or they don't want to have that in that specific beer. And so we made this blend without one um, but because of that, you know, whenever you're changing the yeast strain, it's definitely going to change the flavor a little bit. So it definitely mm-hmm. it has a little bit more West Coast um, to it than maybe some of the other our other our, our coastal ale yeast blend. And with that, you're going to lose a little bit of the juicy character, right? So you still have some of that tropical, You still, and that's happening with those hops. But um, your you're not. It's not, it's going to be a little bit drier. It's not going to have that, that, that full juice flavor, which technically like, truthfully I prefer, but, um, but I know that's not for everybody.
0: Yeah. But it's a good way to stand out and sort of differentiate yourself out there in a sea of, of similar. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Well, Kara Taylor, she is the head of operations at White Labs, which has locations in both Asheville, North Carolina and San Diego, California, and they're online at whitelabs.com. Kara, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. A word of thanks to this episode's sponsors, including Yakima Chief Hops, which has officially launched their newest product, Cryopop Original Blend. YCH has combined their proprietary cryogenic hop processing technology with cutting-edge lab analysis to create cryohops with a pop. Learn more at cryopopblend.com. We're also sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. Check out the latest addition to the Blickman Pro Brewing equipment lineup skid mounted brew houses available in five to 15 barrel capacities. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And we're also brought to you by Arrived. Arrived Point of Sale is your mobile flexible solution for the best guest and staff experience on premise and online. Go to arrive.com nano to set up a free customized demo. And save the date, November 4th to 6th is the BYO Bootcamp in Denver, Colorado, and the fourth annual NanoCon Online takes place December 3rd and 4th of this year. Learn more about both, and you can sign up for both at BYO.com. And I should point out that Kara Taylor is speaking at the BYO Bootcamp in Denver, and coincidentally, or not, so is this next guest. Dave Green is the assistant editor and recipe editor of BYO Magazine. And as I was thinking about growth, I was thinking about scaling recipes and best practices and using offbeat ingredients. And so I reached out to Dave who has been getting recipes into fighting shape for the print magazine and the website since 2014. He's seen a lot, he knows a lot, and he's still actively homebrewing. From hazy IPA to fresh hops to spices and herbs, we talk about it as he joins me via Zoom from Vermont. It's interesting though to hear you talk about being there since 2014, and the way that recipes have evolved in the last seven years. Hmm. And from your perch, I wonder if you've been able to see an arc of how beer recipes in general have changed in a relatively short period of time.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously the hops, are probably the biggest change that we're seeing Um, and did a story a couple years ago kind of just talking about that arc um that ipas have gone through and you know it obviously started back with um with pliny and the fact that uh you know it was great that you know they were willing to share the the recipe for pliny um so um, and it just kind of has evolved. Just you know, the later hop additions, and you know, less less care for IBUs and more care for hop aromas. Um, and and now nowadays, that that has really <laughs> seeing some of the quantities um, that that are utilized in in dry hops or or in the you know the whirlpool phase or you know after. After knock or after uh, flame out.
0: Yeah. But, uh, I, when, when you're looking at all of these, though, I mean, at, at some point, it, it, there, there really is so much that only so much that our senses can take and our palates can take. Have you seen sort of like a threshold that once you cross it, it really just sort of becomes like a gimmick number?
2: Yeah, I, I I believe so. I mean, some some guys are doing seemingly are doing it right, um, but <laughs> I'm I'm not one of them myself. Uh, I I have I have found that too much is a, it's not a good thing for me in my home brewery, um, and I I really get like that hot burn um, and grassy notes. If I if I go over that limit. So I I I personally like, you know, four to six ounces dry hops um, as a max.
0: Okay. When you're I home guess, brewing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I, I some folks uh find find that they can go over that limit um with short contact time. And um and you know, some of the some of the breweries are are making it work. Um Yeah. And obviously for me, it's nice and easy to scale up to a barrel. It's just, I just, uh, times by four or times by six, (laughs) excuse me. Uh, so four, would so that would be what, um, 16 to about 24 ounces per barrel. Yeah. Or about a pound.
0: So let's talk about scaling up because, you know, I, I was out in Denver uh, last week for the for the craft brewers conference and the 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 expo that happens out there and and there were a lot of small brewers uh, that were that were walking around uh, and they they are uh, thinking about their next steps and their their next phases and there there are some 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 folks that I met who are uh, getting ready to go pro and uh, they've been homebrewing for a while and you know are, are ready to make that commercial leap. I wonder if you can talk to the home brewers for a second, let's start there, who are thinking about going pro, where do you suggest they start thinking as far as scalability goes? Like what should that process look like in, in, in your mind to get them ready to work on a commercial system that is their own?
2: Right, right. I mean, starting, I mean, cause some of the biggest differences when when you're scaling up there's, there's gonna be seen in the fermenter. Um, and um you know just just making sure that you you have a keen sense of how different yeasts will operate um at different sizes and uh and talking to other brewers about you know what's what their experiences are with uh with different yeast strains. Um, but also, you know how how hops how hops could uh, change um, their their utilization um, in different size kettles. Um, I, I really think, you know, just reaching out to other brewers um, who are you know operating potentially on a on a similar scale as them or are planning to, um, and yeah, just having conversations. Um, with other brewers who are who are making it work um, and see what they're doing, I think is the is one of the best things. Because
0: yeah, sorry, go ahead.
2: No, no, no. Because because a lot of it, I feel like you know, on a commercial, commercial when you when you're going up to a nano size, um, it is it's just like a big home brewery um, that you're that you're operating on. Uh, so so to me. Some of the the brew house elements are not all that different, but some of those fermentation, especially aspects, what happens in your in your vessel there, um, is one of the bigger differences, I think.
0: And do you have any sort of insight as to what to even think? Because I know I started with recipe development and 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 brewing, but on fermentation, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah no I so I'll try and circle back to uh, to recipe development because because um, I, I think I think one thing that is very important on uh, for uh, for when you do go commercial is trying to kind of streamline your your uh, your your grains um, and your hops uh, you know more isn't always better um you know taking taking that favorite homebrew recipe that uh that you have that has you know eight grains maybe you can you know if you're if you're looking to go commercial try and simplify um because because again just because it it worked um in the in your home brewery and it was great i think that you know in a kind of commercial field you you really want to try and um, par, par that down and similar with hops. Um, you don't want to be stuck with, you know, 20 different kinds of hops necessarily in your, in your cold storage, um, you know, trying to streamline those. So that you just use some key ones. Uh, that, I think that would, that would be one suggestion for me and, you know, and also looking at your bottom line, yeah. um, uh, is is always is always important um you know maybe you use maris otter uh for your big imperial stout as base malt, but is is it really adding that much to to the imperial stout maybe you just want to try and look at a basic north american two-row um just because it'll uh it may it may just be hidden uh you know using so using a subtle malts like like a maris otter Great for a mild, but maybe just would be uh, completely muted out in a in an imperial stout. So um, I think that's uh, some some important details of of recipe design when you do scale up. I mean, for for your home for my home brewery, sure I've got a couple um, big plastic containers of you know all different kinds of specialty malts that I have yeah Um, but when you're in when you're when you're doing this kind of professionally you really really don't want to have too much lying around for too long and uh you know keep it fresh keep it moving uh through the system and uh you know obviously you'd rather have cash um in hand rather than uh rather than stuff sitting sitting around in storage
0: so i think that's that's, very true yeah um, so let's step it up then to the next uh, to the next level so you're a nano brewer uh you're getting ready to uh leave uh this this world behind and and go up to the to the next the next big size vessel you know you're going to leave your seven for a 15 uh or higher um when you start making when you start thinking about that um again you know there's sort of jumps that you have to make uh, uh, there's certainly math involved, but then there's other things to 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 be considering as well. Um, you work with a lot of pro brewers who you know and, and large scale breweries um, who who submit recipes uh, for the magazine that 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 you put out there. Um, what do you suggest the nano brewers start who want to go big uh, or bigger start thinking about recipe wise? You know, well before they put that deposit down on more stainless
2: mm. oh, um let's see as far as recipes are concerns um you know. or if
0: there's other aspects that you think that that people should look into i was just trying to keep it on the recipe front but if you have yeah. if you have yeah. something else that's
2: i mean life I mean, obviously grain crush um is, a, is one big factor uh, when changing systems making sure that you know you're not ending up with stuck i mean there's nothing worse than stuck sparges to yeah. me uh, i that was the bane of my existence back in my old, old pap uh, charlie yeah. water ton days <laughs> um yeah i I think uh you know and again that's you know how I'll, I'll circle back to the fermentation how you know how yeast are going to change um when you you know especially maybe you're not stepping up your fermentation vessels because maybe you already have a 15 barrel fermenters that you're double batching but um but just making sure that you know when you step up to a bigger fermentation size that you're that you're ready to <laughs> uh, see some changes to your beers, um, depending on, depending on the dynamics, what's happening in your fermenter. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just, uh, getting to learn your new system, um, uh, ensure that you, you're not leaving, you know, valves open that don't need to be open. Um, yeah, or, or, that shouldn't be open. Um, getting, just, just getting that flow going. Um, and yeah.
0: Yeah. There's certainly going to be a lot of trial and error, um, that, that comes with all of it. And I, and I, I'm also certainly not overly encouraging anybody to, to leave the confines of the nano space because, um, (laughs) I, I know it's sort of this natural thing of, um, you know, oh you have a business well is it going to get bigger is it going to grow bigger? Um, it, it's okay to stay uh, the size that you're at uh, the size that you're comfortable with um you know the the market doesn't need to dictate how big you need to get it, it it's it's a personal choice in a lot of ways so um you know um but one one of the things that 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 occurred to me though um with the recipes that you get through the magazine is there's always something new that's being added to beer. Mm. And a couple of weeks ago on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, uh, I was talking uh, with some brewers from Texas about pickle beer and how they were adding pickle brine into their beers and um it was you know it was a fun and sort of lively conversation and uh not an ingredient that i had thought about in the beer space uh quite a, quite a bit and then um before i was talking to you today i was thinking about some of the stuff that Dongfish had us done over the years where you know they put mace in beer like the actual pepper spray <sighs> and um, they did moon dust uh, a couple of years ago which is probably harder to come by um but it does seem like every week I'm getting a press release that has some sort of crazy ingredient or non-traditional beer ingredients in there. Um, yeah. I guess the, the the first question is if, if somebody is creating a recipe that uses something that is a non-traditional beer ingredient, what do you recommend? You know, how do you, how, how, how do you recommend trialing that out? Uh, or do you just go for it?
2: Yeah. I mean, so yeah, with, with pickling, uh, I mean, I guess you got to look at how much salt you're adding um, sure. something like pickle juice. You know, yeah. if you want it to be kind of like a Gosa level of salt. Dave, I'm going to um, do
0: you one better. Not only did they add pickle juice, um, but they also added Kool-Aid to it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it's um, sold and it's sold out in minutes. I,
2: so wait have you heard any feedback about this beer
0: uh you know i <laughs> about this particular one no no um, okay I, i'm interested uh, to hear yeah uh about this particular uh beer no but um okay. uh, it, it's 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 part of their line they they this brewery does a um uh, a line with uh, best made pickles, which I guess is a Texas thing. And they've released dozens of various pickle beers, uh, smoked pickle beers and horseradish pickle beers. And um, this one had purple Kool Aid in it. Wow. Okay. Um, um, we talk so, about it on Drink Beer, Think Beer, so we can get into that. But like, yeah. you know, uh, so, <laughs> I like that I've stumped you with this. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. No. So um, one thing I, I would definitely actually, it was a suggestion that was put out by Josh Weiger. Um, a couple oh, yeah. of years ago, and he was writing uh, our techniques column, um, and he suggested that you know, for especially if you're adding like spices, try and look around to see what your typical like four to six uh, you know servings dinner um, might have of that spice, and that's actually a good starting point for for using it for in a recipe in a homebrew like a five gallon nineteen liter uh, homebrew. Um, yeah. so, so again, times by six, and that's how much you're talking per barrel, um, is, it's a good, it's a good starting point, at least if, if you're experimenting, mm-hmm. um, but obviously, you know, running, running test batches are, is always a good thing. in in my opinion, uh, before you scale up to a larger size, you know, I mean, hopefully you keep a, some sort of pilot system going, um, to test out if you're if you are into um, concocting some interesting and uh, new experimental beers.
0: Yeah. But I mean it also comes down to, you know some ingredients can change dramatically when exposed to heat or when mm-hmm. exposed to cold. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah well, I mean, cinnamon is a classic one that'll change um, when heated. Um, so adding cinnamon into, you know, like a, at the last couple minutes of your boil, adding a cinnamon stick versus adding it as a dry hop, or in, you know, in fermenter, um, it, it provides kind of different elements. Um, so, so getting to know the ingredients that you're using is a good thing, um, before, before you delve, before you jump in. And- uh,
0: yeah. Is there anything else uh, similar or akin to cinnamon that uh, that 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 comes to mind that, yeah. like, when you said that like coffee sort of came to my mind of people right. think of a hot cup of coffee, but it's the cold steeping method, the cold brew method that actually works a lot better as opposed to adding it in on the hot side.
2: Right, right. Agreed there, John. Um, you know, also some herbs um, dried versus fresh is a, uh, you know, oregano is a classic one that's, you know changes um to me when it's when it's dried out so um so I'm, I'm not meaning to change the subjects no that's uh i know that you know there's some some beers nowadays that are using using herbs as well um so are you going to use fresh or can you use fresh herbs versus versus uh dried out um you know i guess in in a similar way hops you know Wet hops versus versus uh, your pellet hops, or or just a whole leaf that are dried and kilns.
0: Um. um, you you brought it up, and we're sort of in that. I guess we're in the tail end of uh, of fresh hop season, uh, wet hop season. But if uh, if anybody's coming across uh, feral hops uh, on their property, or um, you know is is getting a late harvest and still wants to do a a fresh hop or a wet hop, um, any best practices that you've seen? that you want to share
2: I, I just i i think one of the i i don't like to do them into as a dry hop i i like to keep them in i like to sanitize my um and uh, and also adding a lot of wet hops in, into your fermenter is just inviting um inviting re-fermentation mm-hmm. of, um well, it's enzyme there amylo glucose, whatever. whatever. Um, But yeah, it'll get your fermentation uh, going again, as it breaks down dextrins, um, uh, the enzyme from the hops. So, so generally, I like to keep my wet hops, um, you know, it's a one to five ratio in general, you know, one ounce of dried will equal about five ounces. Um, And don't don't feel like you need to go overboard. I, and I, I personally like to supplement a little bit with commercial dried hops, um, but I don't know. Just have fun with it. I guess is yeah. As um, is, is key.
0: And I think that's just a good reminder. You know, regardless of where you are in your career right now, uh, uh, novice or amateur or pro or 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 whatever, just to keep having fun and 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 keep experimenting and keep. Keep going out there. Um, Dave Green, you are the assistant editor and the recipe editor at BYO Magazine, which uh, of course is what this podcast is a part of. So thanks for for taking the time this afternoon and being on the show this month. I I appreciate the insight, and it's been good talking with you. Yeah,
2: thanks for having me, John.
0: Before we go, I'd like to hear from you. What's inspiring you about beer these days? You can email us at nano at BYO.com. And I'll also invite you to head over to byo.com slash nano podcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and to catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can do us all a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And I'm also very happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Yakima Chief Hops. Yakima Chief Hops has officially launched their newest product. Cryo pop original blend YCH has combined their proprietary cryogenic hop processing technology with cutting edge lab analysis to create cryo hops with a pop. Using this new research to identify the most beer soluble hop compounds that survived the brewing process they engineered a supercharged pellet that shows massive tropical stone fruit and citrus aromas in your finished beers learn more at CryoPopBlend.com. And we're also sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. Check out the latest addition to the Blickman Pro Brewing equipment lineup, skid-mounted brew houses, available in 5 to 15-barrel capacities. These production powerhouses are designed for flexibility, engineered for performance, and built for growth. Experience the convenience you want from a name you trust at a price you wouldn't expect. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And we're also brought to you by Arrived. Arrived Point of Sale is your mobile, flexible solution for the best guest and staff experience on premise and online. Built by craft beer professionals for craft beer professionals, Arrived is the only POS with no contracts and no monthly fees and everything you need to thrive. Go to arrived.com nano to set up a free customized demo. That's arrived.com slash nano, and it's A R R Y V E D dot com slash nano because there is no I in arrived. And save the date November 4th to 6th is the BYO boot camp in Denver, Colorado. Join us in person for three full days packed with brewing learning. You'll have two days of learning hands on in small classes from brewing experts in your choice of eight different full day workshops. Plus, you'll have a full bonus third day of back to back seminars from our experts. So you have a chance to learn from all of our speakers beyond your small class workshops. Check out byo.com to learn more. And the fourth annual NanoCon Online takes place December three and four of this year, with two days of more than 30 seminars and workshop for the NanoCraft Brewing segment. Be sure to mark NanoCon online on your calendar or sign up now. You can also learn more at BYO.com and I'll see you there. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast. That's where I talked with Cody Martin of Martin House Brewing about pickle beer. And of course, there's also Steel this beer. You can find those where podcasts are found and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was created by Scott McCampbell and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day.